0: chapters 1 and 2 of clementina this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org clementina by aew mason chapter 1 a chance meeting the landlord the lady and mr charles wogan were all three it seemed in luck's way that september morning of the year seventeen nineteen wogan was not surprised his luck for the moment was altogether in so that even when his horse stumbled and went lame at a desolate part of the road from florence to bologna he had no doubt but that somehow fortune would serve him His horse stepped gingerly on for a few yards, stopped, and looked round at his master. Wogan and his horse were on the best of terms. "'Is it so bad as that?' said he, and dismounting he gently felt the strained leg. Then he took the bridle in his hand and walked forward, whistling as he walked. Yet the place and the hour were most unlikely to give him succour. It was early morning, and he walked across an empty basin of the hills. The sun was not visible, though the upper air was golden and the green peaks of the hills rosy. The basin itself was filled with a broad, uncoloured light, and lay naked to it and extraordinarily still. There were as yet no shadows. The road rose and dipped across low ridges of turf, a ribbon of dead and unillumined white, and the grass at any distance from the road had the darkness of peat. HE LED HIS HORSE FORWARD FOR PERHAPS A MILE, AND THEN TURNING A CORNER BY A KNOT OF TREES CAME UNEXPECTEDLY UPON A WAYSIDE INN. IN FRONT OF THE INN STOOD A TRAVELING CARRIAGE WITH ITS TEAM OF HORSES. THE BACKS OF THE HORSES SMOKED, AND THE CANDLES OF THE LAMPS WERE STILL BURNING IN THE BROAD DAYLIGHT. MR. Wogan QUICKENED HIS PACE. HE WOULD BEG A SEAT ON THE BOX TO THE NEXT POSTING STAGE. FORTUNE HAD SERVED HIM. As he came near, he heard from the interior of the inn a woman's voice, not unmusical, so much as shrill with impatience, which perpetually ordered and protested. As he came nearer, he heard a man's voice obsequiously answering the protests, and as the sound of his footsteps rang in front of the inn, both voices immediately stopped. The door was flung hastily open, and the landlord and the lady ran out onto the road sir said the lady in italian i need a postillion to wogan's thinking she needed much more than a postillion she needed certainly a retinue of servants. he was not quite sure that she did not need a nurse for she was a creature of an exquisite fragility with the pouting face of a child and the childishness was exaggerated by a great muslin bow she wore at her throat her pale hair where it showed beneath her hood was fine as silk and as glossy. Her eyes had the colour of an Italian sky at noon, and her cheeks the delicate tinge of a carnation. The many laces and ribbons knotted about her dress in a manner most mysterious to Wogan added to her gossamer appearance, and, in a word, she seemed to him something too flower-like for the world's rough usage. "'I must have a postillion,' she continued presently madam said the landlord smiling with all a tuscan peasant's desire to please in a minute in less than a minute he looked complacently about him as though any moment now a crop of postillions might be expected to flower by the roadside the lady turned from him with a stamp of the foot and saw that wogan was curiously regarding her carriage a boy stood at the horses heads but his dress and sleepy face showed that he had not been half an hour out of bed, and there was no one else. Wogan was wondering how in the world she had travelled as far as this inn. The lady explained, "'The postillion who drove me from Florence was drunk. Oh, but drunk! He rolled off his horse just here opposite the door. See, I beat him!' And she raised the beribboned handle of a toy-like cane." but it was no use. I broke my cane over his back, but he would not get up. He crawled into the passage where he lies. Wogan had some ado not to smile. Neither the cane nor the hand which wielded it would be likely to interfere even with a sober man's slumbers. And I must reach Bologna to-day, she cried in an extreme agitation. It is of the last importance. Fortune is kind to us both, madam, said Wogan with a bow. My horse is lamed, as you see. I will be your charioteer, for I, too, am in a desperate hurry to reach Bologna. Immediately the lady drew back. Oh, she said with a start, looking at Wogan. Wogan looked at her. Ah, said he thoughtfully. They eyed each other for a moment, each silently speculating what the other was doing alone at this hour and in such a haste to reach Bologna you are english she said with a great deal of unconcern and she asked in english that she was english wogan already knew from her accent his italian however was more than passable and he was a wary man by nature as well as by some ten years training in a service where wariness was the first need though it was seldom acquired he could have answered no quite truthfully being irish he preferred to answer her in italian as though he had not understood i beg your pardon yes i will drive you to bologna if the landlord will swear to look after my horse and he was very precise in his directions the landlord swore very readily his anxiety to be rid of his vociferous guest and to get back to bed was extreme wogan climbed into the postilion's saddle describing the while such remedies as he desired to be applied to the sprained leg the horse is a favourite asked the lady madam said wogan with a laugh i would not lose that horse for all the world for the woman i shall marry will ride on it into my city of dreams the lady stared as well she might she hesitated with her foot upon the step is he sober she asked of the landlord "'Madam,' said the landlord unabashed, "'in this district he is nicknamed the Water Drinker. "'You know him, then? He is Italian?' "'He is more. He is of Tuscany.' The landlord had never seen Wogan in his life before, but the lady seemed to wish some assurance on the point, so he gave it. He shut the carriage door, and Wogan cracked his whip. The postillion's desires were of a piece with the lady's they raced across the valley and as they climbed the slope beyond the sun came over the crests one moment the dew upon the grass was like raindrops the next it shone like polished jewels the postilion shouted a welcome to the sun and the lady proceeded to breakfast in her carriage wogan had to snatch a meal as best he could while the horses were changed at the posting stage the lady would not wait "'and Wogan, for his part, was used to a light fare. "'He drove into Bologna that afternoon. "'The lady put her head from the window "'and called out the name of a street. "'Her postillion, however, paid no heed. "'He seemed suddenly to have grown deaf. "'He whipped up his horses, shouted encouragements to them "'and warnings to the pedestrians on the roads. "'The carriage rocked round corners "'and bounced over the uneven stones.' Wogan had clean forgotten the fragility of the traveller within. He saw men going busily about, talking in groups and standing alone, and all with consternation upon their faces. The quiet streets were alive with them. Something had happened that day in Bologna, some catastrophe, or news had come that day, bad news. Wogan did not stop to inquire. He drove at a gallop straight to a long white house which fronted the street. The green latticed shutters were closed against the sun, but there were servants about the doorway, and in their aspect, too, there was something of disorder. Wogan called to one of them, jumped down from his saddle, and ran through the open doorway into a great hall with frescoed walls all ruined by neglect. At the back of the hall a marble staircase, guarded by a pair of marble lions, ran up to a landing and divided. Wogan set foot on the staircase and heard an exclamation of surprise. He looked up. A burly, good-humoured man in the gay embroideries of a courtier was descending towards him. "'You?' cried the courtier. "'Already?' and then laughed." he was the only man whom wogan had seen laugh since he drove into bologna and he drew a great breath of hope then nothing has happened whittington there is no bad news there is news so bad my friend that you might have jogged here on a mule and still have lost no time your hurry is clean wasted answered whittington wogan ran past him up the stairs and so left the hall and the open doorway clear Whittington looked now straight through the doorway, and saw the carriage and the lady on the point of stepping down onto the curb. His face assumed a look of extreme surprise. Then he glanced up the staircase after Wogan, and laughed as though the conjunction of the lady and Mr. Wogan was a rare piece of amusement. Mr. Wogan did not hear the laugh, but the lady did. She raised her head, and at the same moment the courtier came across the hall to meet her. As soon as he had come close, Harry, said she, and gave him her hand. He bent over it and kissed it, and there was more than courtesy in the warmth of the kiss. But I'm glad you've come. I did not look for you for another week, he said in a low voice. He did not, however, offer to help her to alight. This is your lodging, she asked. No, said he, the king's and the woman shrank suddenly back amongst her cushions. In a moment, however, her face was again at the door. "'Then who was he, my postillion?' "'Your postillion?' asked Whittington, glancing at the servant who held the horses. "'Yes, the tall man who looked as if he should have been a scholar and had twisted himself all awry into a soldier. You must have passed him in the hall.' Whittington stared at her. Then he burst again into a laugh. "'Your postillion was he?' "'That's the oddest thing,' and he lowered his voice. "'Your postilion was Mr. Charles Wogan, "'who comes from Rome post-haste "'with the Pope's procuration for the marriage. "'You have helped him on his way, it seems. "'Here's a good beginning, to be sure.' "'The lady uttered a little cry of anger, "'and her face hardened out of all its softness. "'She clenched her fists viciously, "'and her blue eyes grew cold and dangerous as steel.' At this moment she hardly looked the delicate flower she had appeared to Wogan's fancy. But you need not blame yourself, said Whittington, as he lowered his head to a level with hers. All the procurations in Christendom will not marry James Stuart to Clementina Sobieski. She has not come, then? No, nor will she come. There is news to-day. Lean back from the window and I will tell you. She has been arrested at Innspruck. The lady could not repress a crow of delight. Hush, said Whittington. Then he withdrew his head and resumed in his ordinary voice. I have hired a house for your ladyship, which I trust will be found convenient. My servant will drive you thither. He summoned his servant from the group of footmen about the entrance, gave him his orders, bowed to the ground, and, twisting his cane, sauntered idly down the street end of chapter 1 chapter 2 bad news wogan mounted the stairs not daring to speculate upon the nature of the bad news but his face was pale beneath its sunburn and his hand trembled on the balustrade for he knew in his heart he knew there could be only one piece of news which would make his haste or tardiness matters of no account Both branches of the stairs ran up to a common landing, and in the wall facing him, midway between the two stair-heads, was a great door of tulip-wood. An usher stood by the door, and at Wogan's approach opened it. Wogan, however, signed to him to be silent. He wished to hear, not to speak, and so he slipped into the room unannounced. The door was closed silently behind him, and at once he was surprised by the remarkable silence, almost a cessation of life it seemed, in a room which was quite full. Wherever the broad bars of sunshine fell, as they slanted dusty with motes through the open lattices of the shutters, they striped a woman's dress or a man's velvet coat yet if anyone shuffled a foot or allowed a petticoat to rustle, that person glanced on each side guiltily. A group of people were gathered in front of the doorway. Their backs were towards Wogan, and they were looking towards the centre of the room. Wogan raised himself on his toes and looked that way too. Having looked, he sank down again, aware at once that he had travelled of late a long way in a little time, and that he was intolerably tired for that one glance was enough to deprive him of his last possibility of doubt. He had seen the Chevalier de St. George, his king, sitting apart in a little open space, and over against him a short, squarish man, dusty as wogan himself, who stood and sullenly waited. It was Sir John Hay, the man who had been sent to fetch the Princess Clementina privately to Bologna, AND HERE HE NOW WAS, BACK AT BOLOGNA, AND ALONE. Wogan had counted much upon this marriage, more indeed than any of his comrades. It was to be the first step of the pedestal in the building up of a throne. It was to establish in Europe a party for James Stuart as strong as the party of Hanover. But so much was known to everyone in that room. To Wogan the marriage meant more. FOR EVEN WHILE HE FOUND HIMSELF MUTTERING OVER AND OVER WITH DRY LIPS, AS WHITE AND EXHAUSTED HE LEANED AGAINST THE DOOR, CLEMENTINA'S QUALIFICATIONS, DAUGHTER OF THE KING OF POLAND, COUSIN TO THE EMPEROR AND TO THE KING OF PORTUGAL, NIECE TO THE ELECTORS OF TREVES, Bavaria AND PALATINE, THE IMAGE OF THE GIRL HERSELF ROSE UP BEFORE HIS EYES AND STRUCK HER TITLES FROM HIS THOUGHTS she was the chosen woman chosen by him out of all europe and lost by john hay he remembered very clearly at that moment his first meeting with her he had travelled from court to court in search of the fitting wife and had come at last to the palace at olau in silesia it was in the dusk of the evening and as he was ushered into the great stone hall hung about and carpeted with barbaric skins he had seen standing by the blazing wood-fire in the huge chimney a girl in a riding-dress she raised her head and the firelight struck upwards on her face adding a warmth to its bright colours and a dancing light to the depths of her dark eyes her hair was drawn backwards from her forehead and the frank sweet face revealed to him from the broad forehead to the rounded chin told him that here was one who joined to a royal dignity the simple nature of a peasant girl who works in the fields and knows more of animals than of mankind. Wogan was back again in that stone hall when the voice of the chevalier with its strong French accent broke in upon his vision. "'Well, we will hear the story.' "'Well, you left Ola with the princess and her mother "'and a mile-long train of servants "'in spite of my commands of secrecy.' "'There was more anger and less despondency "'than was often heard in his voice. "'Wogan raised himself again on tiptoes "'and noticed that the chevalier's face was flushed "'and his eyes bright with wrath. "'Sir,' pleaded Hay, "'the princess's mother would not abate a man.' "'Well, you reached Radispon.' "'And there?' "'There the English minister came forward from the town "'to flout us with an address of welcome "'in which he used not our incognitos, but our true names.' "'From Ratisbon. then, no doubt you hurried. "'Since you were discovered, you shed your retinue and hurried?' "'Sir, we hurried to Augsburg,' faltered Hay. "'He stopped, and then in a burst of desperation he said,' "'At Augsburg we stayed eight days.' Eight days?' There was a stir throughout the room. A murmur began and ceased. Wogan wiped his forehead and crushed his handkerchief into a hard ball in his palm. It seemed to him that here in this room he could see the Princess Clementina's face flushed with the humiliation of that loitering. "'And why eight days in Augsburg?' "'The Princess's mother would have her jewels reset.' Augsburg is famous for its jewellers, stammered Hay. The murmur rose again. It became almost a cry of stupefaction. The chevalier sprang from his chair. Her jewels reset, he said. He repeated the words in bewilderment. Her jewels reset. Then he dropped again into his seat. I lose a wife, gentlemen, and very likely a kingdom, too— "'so that a lady may have her jewels reset at Augsburg, "'where, to be sure, there are famous jewelers. "'His glance, wandering in a dazed way about the room, "'settled again on Hay. "'He stamped his foot on the ground in a feverish irritation. "'And those eight days gave just the time "'for a courier from the Emperor at Vienna "'to pass you on the road and not press his horse. "'One should be glad of that.' "'It would have been a pity had the courier killed his horse. "'Oh, I can fashion the rest of the story for myself. "'You trailed on to Innsbruck, where the governor marched out with a troop and herded you in. "'They let you go, however. No doubt they bade you hurry back to me.' "'Sir, I did hurry,' said Hay, who was now in a pitiable confusion. "'I travelled hither without rest.' The anger waned in the Chevalier's eyes as he heard the plea, and a great dejection crept over his face. "'Yes, you would do that,' said he. "'That would be the time for you to hurry with a pigeon's swiftness, so that your king might taste his bitter news not a minute later than need be. "'And what said she upon her arrest?' "'The princess's mother,' asked Hay, barely aware of what he said. "'No, Her Highness, the Princess Clementina. What said she?' sir she covered her face with her hands for perhaps the space of a minute then she leaned forward to the governor who stood by her carriage and cried shut four walls about me quick i could sink into the earth for shame wogan in those words heard her voice as clearly as he saw her face and the dry lips between which the voice passed He had it in his heart to cry aloud, to send the words ringing through that hushed room. She would have tramped here barefoot had she one guide with a spirit to match hers. For a moment he almost fancied that he had spoken them, and that he heard the echo of his voice vibrating down to silence. But he had not, and as he realized that he had not, a new thought occurred to him. No one had remarked his entrance into the room— THE GROUP IN FRONT STILL STOOD WITH THEIR BACKS TOWARDS HIM. SINCE HIS ENTRANCE, NO ONE HAD REMARKED HIS PRESENCE. AT ONCE HE TURNED AND OPENED THE DOOR SO GENTLY THAT THERE WAS NOT SO MUCH AS A CLICK OF THE LATCH. HE OPENED IT JUST WIDE ENOUGH FOR HIMSELF TO SLIP THROUGH, AND HE CLOSED IT BEHIND HIM WITH THE SAME CAUTION. ON THE LANDING THERE WAS ONLY THE USHER. Wogan LOOKED OVER THE balustrade. THERE WAS NO ONE IN THE HALL BELOW. YOU CAN KEEP A SILENT TONGUE, HE SAID TO THE USHER, THERE'S PROFIT IN IT, AND WOGAN PUT HIS HAND INTO HIS POCKET. YOU HAVE NOT SEEN ME, IF ANY ASK. SIR, SAID THE MAN, ANY BRIGHT OBJECT DISTURBS MY VISION. YOU CAN SEE A CROWN, THOUGH, SAID WOGAN, THROUGH A breeches POCKET, BUT IF I HELD IT IN MY HAND, IT WOULD DAZZLE YOU, SO MUCH THAT I SHOULD BE BLIND TO THE GIVER the crown was offered and taken. Wogan went quietly down the stairs into the hall. There were a few lackeys at the door, but they would not concern themselves at all because Mr. Wogan had returned to Bologna. He looked carefully out into the street, chose a moment when it was empty, and hurried across it. He dived into the first dark alley that he came to, and following the winds and byways of the town, made his way quickly to his lodging, He had the key to his door in his pocket, and he now kept it ready in his hand. From the shelter of the corner he watched again till the road was clear. He even examined the windows of the neighboring houses, lest somewhere a pair of eyes might happen to be alert. Then he made a run for his door, opened it without noise, and crept secretly as a thief up the stairs to his rooms, where he had the good fortune to find his servant— Wogan had no need to sign him to be silent. The man was a veteran corporal of French guards, who, after many seasons of campaigning in Spain and the Low Countries, had now for five years served Mr. Wogan. He looked at his master, and without a word went off to make his bed. Wogan sat down and went carefully over in his mind every minute of the time since he had entered Bologna. No one had noticed him when he rode in as the lady's postillion, no one he was sure of that the lady herself did not know him from adam and fancied him an italian into the bargain of that too he had no doubt the handful of lackeys at the door of the king's house need not be taken into account they might gossip among themselves but wogan's appearances and disappearances were so ordinary a matter even that was unlikely the usher's silence he had already secured there was only one acquaintance who had met and spoken with him, and that, by the best of good fortune, was Harry Whittington, the idler who took his banishment and the king's misfortunes with an equally light heart, and gave never a thought at all to anything weightier than a game-cock. Wogan's spirits revived. He had not yet come to the end of his luck. He sat down and wrote a short letter and sealed it up. "'Marnier,' he called out in a low voice, and his servant came from the adjoining room, "'take this to Mr. Edgar, the king's secretary, as soon as it grows dusk. "'Have a care that no one sees you deliver it. "'Lock the parlour door when you go, and take the key. "'I am not yet back from Rome.' "'With that Wogan remembered that he had not slept for forty-eight hours. "'Within two minutes he was between the sheets. "'Within five he was asleep.' End of chapter 2